This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. No guest today, it's just me. Um, I'll be honest, this is the third or fourth take I've done of this. Um, it's new for me. It's also very late, and this may not be perfect, but it's going to be earnest, and it's something that uh, I'm just going to have to put out there and come what may, I guess. So, like many of you, I'm still processing the events of the election, and I was devastated and upset and angry. And in particular, I was angry with evangelicals. <clears throat> 81, 81% of evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. A majority of whites voted for Trump. And there's a significant overlap with those two demographics. And this is unacceptable. Now, I haven't really gone into my own story before, um, and I'm not going to give you my whole story right now. Um, that'll be time for a different episode in a different climate, in a different moment. But I cannot ignore this this moment right now where we're in. And I want to share with you some salient points of my story. I was born and raised in Indiana before moving to Illinois in high school. But the most formative spiritual moments of my life were in South Carolina at a black church. Every summer in my young life as a, as a kid... My parents would use their vacation time to take me and my sister to South Carolina, along with several other families from our church, to a small town outside of Charleston, South Carolina. We would work there with an organization called Rural Mission to help build and repair houses for people in need for a week. We'd leave uh, like on a Friday morning, Friday afternoon, travel for a couple days, get there on a Sunday, work Sunday to Friday, then have another weekend to come back. Um, you know, this was a kind of a bootstrap thing. It was started with maybe 15 people and then, um, got bigger to like 30 plus in later years. But I mean, this was basically just a handful of cars of people. And I started going when I was six years old and I loved it. Each year we'd go to the same town and we'd stay at the same church and we'd see the same people. The leader of the organization was this wonderful woman of God named Linda Gadsden. And she became lifelong friends with many people from our church. She prayed with us. She laughed with us. She shared stories. She is just absolutely amazing. And she built this organization to help people in need in her community. And we formed relationships there. There, And these people got to like see me grow up. And I got to see some of them grow up. It was amazing. Every year, we'd leave on, on Friday in a big caravan, like I mentioned, a bunch of kids and adults piled into a random assortment of cars with CBs used to talk between us. And we'd arrive on Sunday just in time for the church service. We would always stay at this same church. And the church service was always just electric. Now, back home in Indiana, you could set a watch by the services at our Methodist church. But with these services, there was no way of knowing exactly when they'd end. And yeah, there were hymnals, but people wouldn't use them because they were too busy clapping and hearing Linda give like a 30-minute impromptu sermon, like before the actual sermon. Um, they were just just frenetic and pulsing with energy and so different than what I was used to. 
and it was really fun and to be honest funny to watch my dad try to keep up with like the syncopated clapping and he really tried his best but um but yeah it was so different and it was so wonderful we were welcomed into that church they hosted us all these northern white people um in a southern black neighborhood and our love for one another was like this delightful reciprocating dance that was held on solid and steady ground and the things that we had in common but the events of november 8th showed us where some of the fault lines were and a rift is happening and white evangelicals bear so much of the blame and i'm not naive i know that racism existed before last tuesday and I know there was there was plenty of dissatisfaction with, quote, Washington or whatever that means. And there was a lot to for some people to desire in Clinton as a candidate. But let's not mince words. Donald Trump's campaign fanned the flames of sexism, racism, and bigotry in this country. And supporters of those causes have been emboldened in the days since his election. And I also know that my position as a white, straight, Christian man in America is endowed with the utmost privilege you can have in this society. The consequences of this election do not directly affect my body, but my nephew is a person of color. The people that live in my building are not straight. Others are immigrants. My neighborhood, Rogers Park, is one of the most economically and racially diverse neighborhoods in the city of Chicago as well as in the country. And I'm connected by friendship to so many more people who today feel marginalized. And I will tell you that I will use my privilege and use my body and my voice to stand up for my fellow Americans. And I will put my body in front of theirs if need be. And I will repudiate racism and sexism and any other form of discrimination when I see it. I am connected to all these people. And so are you. And this is what I have to say to evangelicals. Stop using that word in a religious context. It's done. You absolutely killed it on November 8th. It is now solely a political term. And it is tainted by its support of a sexist, racist bully. And it helped lead him all the way into the White House. Remember at the RNC when Trump admitted he didn't deserve evangelical support? He was right. The thing that's so incredibly frustrating about that evangelical support is Donald Trump's life is thoroughly anti-Christian. This is a man who seeks to deport millions. Jesus was a refugee. A man who advocates torture. Jesus was tortured by Romans. A man who demeans and assaults women and sexualizes girls. Jesus uplifted women at every turn. It was women who first witnessed the resurrection in a time when women weren't considered valid legal witnesses. Not to mention the way he interacted with Mary Magdalene, the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, and on and on. This is a man who loves money and greed and power. And Jesus sought to free the rich man from his love of money. And Donald Trump has exhibited so many signs of racism as evidenced by his history of discriminating against people of color at his properties as well as tacitly condoning 
others' racism by failing to speak against it at his rallies for the past 18 months. The parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus told is a story absolutely imbued with race. Samaritans were second-class citizens in Jesus' time because of their race, and yet it was the Samaritan that helped the man in need, undercutting and inverting the racial understanding of the day. Also not relative to his to the way of Donald Trump's life and the life of Christ, but relative to his immoral way of life, Trump is a thoroughly dishonest businessman and a faithless spouse. Now, I'm not shocked that there was such vocal support of a Republican candidate by evangelical institutions. My alma mater, Indiana Wesleyan, has in fact enshrined both Ben Carson and Mike Pence into their so-called Society of World Changers. And they're complicit in this tainted work as well. Evangelical politicians and the people that support them have loved power, control, and influence more than God for a long time. Its institutions ensure that, to the detriment of the well-meaning individuals who attend their churches and go to their schools and work at their institutions. The evangelical political movement began in response to the integrative work of Brown versus the Board of Education and has its roots in racism. It's tried to hide that history in favor of its founding myth that touts its role as an outspoken voting bloc relative to abortion above all, but that's not the truth. Randall Balmer has really dug into this very well, and I'll link to that story. But now this love of power, control, and influence has aided a demagogue into the White House, and he's already begun to surround himself with Washington insiders, so let's not think he's going to shade things up in that, in that regard. But his pick for chief counsel and Steve Bannon is highly problematic and discouraging, and white evangelicals must respond to all of this. Friends and family and people close to me have seen my angry, frustrated, aggrieved posts on Facebook over the past week. Um, they wanted to kind of, in, in, in different ways, try to control my reaction, want to see me act more reasonable, um, are kind of shocked that I was so upset, to try to give the, the benefit of the doubt. But I don't think I can. White evangelicals must own up to what they've supported. They have to sit in the discomfort of this. They must see what they've done, and they must repudiate the vile, racist, xenophobic, anti-immigrant, anti-Muslim rhetoric, and not let it stand or become normalized, regardless of whether it was done by Trump or by people that are his supporters or people that have come out of the woodwork because of his success and his election to the highest office in the land. If they see racist acts, they must say this cannot stand. Same goes for misogynist acts and sexist acts, and anything else that goes against basic decency and against the creed of Christianity. In short, white evangelicals, they need to repent. They also can't say a damn word to anyone and try to police how other people of color, queer people, women, or other marginalized people may feel as a result of this election. Just don't. I don't know how to be a good, quote, good ally right now, and I'm still trying to figure that out, and what I've said already may not be perfect, and I'm still trying to find my way too. And a lot of this has been harsh, and there's no avoiding that. 
In the coming days and years, we're all going to have to have both thick skin and tender hearts. Because things can't go unsaid anymore. We can't live in a filter. We can't live in a bubble. There is... There are racist insignia, swastikas, and other things being scrawled in public places, in schools, and other places that can be seen. And those things cannot be normalized. The poison has reached the surface, and before it kills us, we have to draw it out. Now, let me return to another story from South Carolina. These trips were just chock full of traditions. We'd stay at the same hotels on the way down and the way back. Another thing, every Tuesday, every year on a Tuesday, we'd go to these things called seafood jamborees that the nonprofit Rural Mission would host. Um, and we get to meet up with other, uh, like other groups that were working in other different communities, and we'd get to eat all kinds of crab and all sorts of other great food and see live music. It was amazing. Um... We'd also stop once or twice a week at this old ice cream store called um, the Ye Old Fashioned Ice Cream Shop, spelled with two P's and an E. And every year, on Friday, after we finished our last work, after we'd fin- completed whatever work was left, um, this would be the last day that we were in in the area, um, the last day we were finishing up all the different projects, that afternoon we would go into Charleston and... We'd go to what used to be the old slave markets and buy trinkets and that sort of thing. Um, And I didn't know that part of the history until much later. I was just a kid. Um, And I would do things like every year there was a popcorn shop and I'd buy this assorted flavor popcorn. Um, And I'd play this game where I'd close my eyes and, uh, and someone would feed me one, like a friend would feed me one, and you try to guess the flavor, and then it, then it'd go back and forth. Just guess the flavor. There's no point. It'd just be fun. And then the next day, we'd we'd stop in Pigeon Forge um, to stay for the evening, and we'd stay at a uh, stay at a hotel. That Saturday night, we would go go kart racing, and then the next morning, on Sunday, um, in Pigeon Forge, which is right in the Smoky Mountains. We'd have our final daily devotion poolside in the dewy, foggy morning before we left. And the pool was the weirdest place on earth. It was outside and it had some sort of like deck or something that was covered with like astroturf or like green, fake, uh, like pudding green sort of stuff like you'd find at a, I don't know, (laughs) it was so weird and it smelled just vaguely of mildew and chlorine, but it was foggy and a little chilly, and just, like, oddly perfect. And in this setting, there'd be a short little lesson. And then we would all join together, and we'd sing the hymn, They Will Know We Are Christians By Our Love, before heading home. And it was the perfect coda to those trips where we served and were served by people very, very different from us. And that diversity and those encounters meant the world to me, and they still do. Those memories fuel me today. But now, in this moment, how will the world know why evangelicals and why ex-evangelicals 
and ex-Christians, anyone else, how will they know us by our love? What will we do to show the world that we love them? That's my challenge and that's yours. Stand up to hate. Stand up to racism. Stand up to sexism. Embrace those different than you. Find a call deeper than the one you may understand from evangelicalism. One that began with the man and the God that hung on a cross and burst from a tomb in first century Israel. God help us. I know this is imperfect. I know there's a lot of emotions being processed right now. And this is very much mine. But it's a different world now. And we have to be better. We have to be better together. If you have any ideas, please share them on Twitter with the hashtag ByYourLove. You can reach me on there at BRChastain on Twitter. And you can follow the show on Twitter at XVangelicalPod. You can like the show on Facebook at Facebook.com slash XVangelicalPod. We'll be back to our regular, regularly scheduled programming next week. I really appreciate you being a listener. And I'm sorry if you're hurting. <laughs>